Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In this show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal. But what if I told you, Brian, that much like Spoons, there was no pedestal? Much like Spoons? It's a Matrix 1 reference with the, uh, the spoons. Are you like a cookie? You consider yourself a blue pill guy or a, <laughs> or a red pill guy? <laughs> I don't even remember which pill you're supposed to take. I think that the blue is bad, if I remember correctly. You don't remember? I don't think so. You can stay in Wonderland. Terrible. That's a horrible Lawrence Fishburne. I apologize. In 2003, the nominees for Best Picture were Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, Lost in Translation, Sea Biscuit, Mystic River, and Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. But today, we're looking at another movie from that year that wasn't one of the five that the machines at the <laughs> Academy told us to fawn over. It's The Matrix Reloaded, directed by Lily and Lana Wachowski. Here's the trailer. Do we proceed? Yes. You still only human. All of our lives, we have fought this war. Tonight, I believe we can end it. That's a nice trick. Huh. Upgrades. Mr. Anderson. Surprised to see me? So now he's found a way to copy himself. Now there's more than one of them. A lot more. from the surface straight down to Zion. There is only one way to save our city. Neo. What happens if I fail? Then Zion will fall. They need you. I need you. Prophecy is true. What if tomorrow the war could be over? Isn't that worth fighting for? Isn't that worth dying for? We need those voices to narrate for these. The Lawrence Fishburne the, the, voice? The, the, the trailer. No, like the uh, Don La- Don Lafontaine mm. voices, yeah, because it's really hard to understand what's going on in the in the non narrated trailers. It's true, but there's fighting and there's computers. So you what you missed if you were just audibly following along with that trailer, as most of our listeners were, mm-hmm. was a lot of punching, mm-hmm. some. Uh, slow bullet time type of special effects. But they did get the full experience of electronic dance music. Yes, they did. Many times. So Indeed. that's a plus. 
This movie had a big budget. Did it? 127 to 150 million dollars mm. for the budget. That's bigger than 20 days later. Indeed, that was only eight. Fortunately for the Wachowskis and all others involved, it more than made up for it in the box office. 739 million dollars. Huge. Gross worldwide, breaking Terminator 2's record, becoming the highest grossing rated R movie of all time until Deadpool in 2016. Were you one of the ones in the theater contributing to that box I office? Was not. Oh, I was not. I was not. I'm, I'm all about clear play for uh, Matrix Reloaded. Okay. Right. Entertainment Weekly named it as one of the 25 worst sequels ever made. Wrong. Coming up in this show, <laughs> Farley Award. We'll do our Farley Awards for the most awesome moment of Matrix Reloaded, um, which has no colon in the in the title, by the way. Mm -hmm. The Matrix Reloaded, just like sort of like a sentence. Yes. Um, I was going to bring that up. Golden Takes. Is that your golden take? That was it. We did it. <laughs> Question, we ask each other one question designed to throw the punch of truth so hard that sometimes you fall down and other times you fly across the city. And we will also imagine what might have been and we'll talk trivia and then the big reveal. Would you keep this or kick it from the top five of 03? I'm noticing a tone in your voice <laughs> that I'm looking forward to exploring later. But first, our Farley Awards for the most awesome moment of the movie. And for me, it's easy. It's the freeway action scene when Trinity and Morpheus are trying to kidnap the key maker mm -hmm. and they're being chased by these sort of albino twins who kind of turn into Flotsam ghosts. Flotsam and Jetsam? Yeah. Is that their names? No, but that's what they are in uh, Little Mermaid. Okay. Like the, the eels, the eels that chase after them. Anyway, okay, Little going. Mermaid reference. I love it. <laughs> but they turn into ghosts and then they rematerialize, which is great. But throughout the sequence, as they're drawing more and more attention to themselves, now agents start following them and they're just adding threat on top of threat. And this movie has a ton of action in it. And in a lot of those scenes, it kind of feels like the Wachowskis just trying to go bigger, you know, than they did mm -hmm. the first time. More agents, crazier uh, superpowers, more CGI. That's kind of the big sometimes problem. But none of these sequences have anywhere near the sense of danger, I think, that mm -hmm. this one does, or energy. Um, Trinity, Carrie Ann Moss, actually was driving in some of these scenes, did her own driving for some of it. Obviously yeah. can't do all of it. But. it it's with driving on the motorcycle or I, in the car. I don't know exactly. Because this sequence is good, but then when Carrie Ann Moss gets on a motorcycle... It gets really yeah. good. And then when Morpheus picks up a samurai sword, it gets better again. <laughs> this sequence is awesome. I don't know what to think about Morpheus. This is one of the problems I have with that scene. I also thought the action is fantastic in that scene. I, I, I really liked the chase. I was thinking that this might be one of the best, you know, highway type scenes. Um, I always think of the greatest highway scene as, of course. Terminator 2. Fury Road. Mad Max. Uh, well, the whole movie's a highway. It is. Life's a highway. <laughs> but um, do you really buy Morpheus as like that agile? No, but he doesn't like, have to be. Man, that, this dude I think is 100% percent sort of... stun double in this movie. Really? He thought that? Yeah, I, I, felt I guess. Like that. I mean, I just feel He's more like, like linebacker. You... Yes. Slash tight end. But, in but the, doesn't seem but that in athletic. the Matrix, it's, a, it's like... I know. That's actually one thing that makes this movie so much different from most action movies is that... There, you can throw the physics out the window. Yes, because that's the whole point, you mm -hmm. know. And although it does happen that way with like a lot of Marvel comic book movies, um, this one feels like I was willing to suspend my disbelief more yeah. for the action here than in most any other movie that I've seen. Um, my my Farley word goes to when Neo meets the architect. Do you okay. notice? Do you notice that Neo is an anagram for one? 
did you ever, yeah, did you ever yeah. think of that? Yeah. Did, did we talk about this? No, I, I think know. we talked about this in the 99 Sorry, episode. I know it's kind of obvious, but um, so visually he's surrounded by screens of himself, which I kind of like. You put, you posted one of those pictures on, a, yeah. on Facebook. The, I imagine the, your bedroom is just screens infinite. of yourself. <laughs> is that, is that infinite true? Keanu's. Um, but not only is this a mind, is this a mind bending trip suggesting that reality is not reality and it's only in your mind. But now you learn that Neo is one of only several chosen ones. Yes. And it just like amplifies the complexity of the whole thing. And I don't really understand any of the philosophy that the architect was saying, but I, it was like close enough to sounding really <laughs> profound that I thought, you know, I'd like to read what he had to say and think about it a little bit more. And that's all that really was was enough for me in the first watching of the movie. If I watch it again or read it up and it sounds like it's all mumbo jumbo, I might take this back. But I I really like that because it 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 um it's like how can you go from understanding the matrix in 1999 to how can you blow your mind again? Yeah. After you did it already in in the first matrix, which I love. Yep. And they do do it again. They they deliver on that and I think that um, th that's, that's great. But however, total film magazine says this film contains quote, the worst line ever delivered in a mainstream Hollywood <laughs> film, unquote, which one the line of dialogue is, is quote, there an ergo or a vis-a-vis -vis in it? Your life is the sum of a remainder of an unbalanced equation inherent to the programming of the matrix. That's either brilliant or it's mumbo jumbo. And if you can't really understand, maybe total film and I are stupid, and um, just, you know, trying to fake it all, all through life. But somebody at Total Film thought that was a dumb line. I guess. Um, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not a coder. I don't understand totally how code works, but I know that it has to balance. Yeah. And I, I can understand that if, you know, your equation is a little bit off, I, that's I, how you get a glitch. And I, that's, yeah. you know. I thought that when Neo is saying that it's all about choice, the other thing that's confusing, by the way, I just wanted to grab a, I, you let me borrow... Um, matrix revolution so i'm gonna hand that back to you there you go um before i forget <laughs> yeah good timing <laughs> <laughs> but the it's it was hard for me i thought that i wanted to watch this because it kind of completes a trilogy i'd never seen the second one but mm -hmm. um i had to kind of stop myself from commenting on the revolutions in this episode because they do all go together and that in yeah. a way i also feel like this is not really a sequel this is part of a trilogy and there's something strong about that so, i mean the ending shot really hammers that in when it it's kind of a to be continued it's like mm -hmm. very obviously this movie is the narrative arc is not over at yeah. the end of this one right. it's going into revolutions which is kind of cool golden take golden take i think that you're setting me up sort of perfectly here mm -hmm. because this is the weirdest blockbuster ever. I think that that's my golden take. And I think Entertainment Weekly, they misunderstand. They think they it's do. the worst. It's the weirdest. And I think that the movie's kind of underappreciated because of that. Richard Roper wrote in his review for The Matrix Reloaded, in the face of almost unbearable expectations, the Wachowskis deliver a sequel that soars to places only hinted at in the original. And I think that that's key, mm -hmm. the expectations. Because after The Matrix... This was going to fill theaters. They could have done anything. Anything. And this would have sold a billion tickets. And I love that the Wachowskis use that opportunity and freedom to just make defiantly their own movie. Like, it's not fan service. It's not franchise service. It's weird. And it's totally, like, locked into their identity. So the meditations on, like, purpose and fate and faith here are one thing. 
but best I think, and you already hit on it, is how they demystify these characters. So we come out of the Matrix, the first one, believing in the prophecy, believing in Morpheus, like we've bought into the myth of it. Then this movie comes along and it's like, wait, wait, wait. What if Morpheus is just like a religious fanatic? Mm -hmm. And what if the entire concept of the one is just a machine construct to keep everyone distracted? And that totally takes the the air out of the first movie. And mm -hmm. so I can, I can understand why people wouldn't like this. But even after we find out that Neo isn't the one, just the sixth, I think that the brilliant thing about it is that we still believe, even after we've been told that things always play out this way, Zion always falls, the, the Matrix always reloads, and now you're back again. Five other of you have been here and we've had the same conversation. We still want to believe that maybe this time will be different mm -hmm. because we're so desperate to believe that our choices matter. And I just think that that's a credit to, to the Wachowskis understanding how we watch movies you know, hero's journey and all that stuff and using it against us. And what other blockbuster popcorn movie goes that deep? What, which other ones do that? They're so rare. Absolutely. I, I think I mentioned this in our 1999 episode, but I first saw the matrix on BYU campus mm -hmm. and they were having a screening of it. And before they watched the movie, it was, we're going to have a discussion of Plato's allegory of the cave first, because that's what this is all about. And that was kind of mind blowing to me. First of all, you know, the, the cave thing is, is mind blowing in, in general, but the idea that a sci-fi popcorn movie on the surface with yep. crazy special effects would be that bold mm -hmm. to go, go so philosophical and they do it even more in this movie. Oh yeah. And I think that's good. Not bad. I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, and like you said about the Matrix Reloaded, there is no colon in the middle. And when I was younger, I was like, oh, Reloaded, like guns. Yeah, I get it. That's cool. Yeah. And then I rewatched it recently and I was like, wait, what? It's a great How title. Did... It's a great I didn't, title. I didn't, when I was younger, like it just completely went over my head, I think. <laughs> Even watching this time, I was kind of surprised. I when sort of we... forgot about the five Neos before this Neo thing, which is sort of the biggest I mean, you know, if they haven't watched this, we're going to, it's a big spoiler. I mean, that's sort of the entire point of this movie. Yeah. And I didn't get it when I was younger. And mm -hmm. I, I just think that. Right over your head, like a Carrion Moss kick. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. But just the fact that we get so emotionally invested in the hero's journey, whether it's Luke Skywalker or Neo, mm -hmm. to believe that this, this time could be different, I just think is a, is a really, really smart thing. I think that bringing Luke Skywalker into the discussion is appropriate. Because okay. um, my golden take is that um, this is such an ambitious project. The Wachowskis are saying, we're, we know that Star Wars exists and we're not afraid of Star Wars. We're going to use, go, we're going to go everything from Star Wars to Greek philosophy, anything in between. And we're going to try to co-opt all of it and stand on their shoulders and try to reach for something even, even bigger and better. Mm -hmm. And I think I love it when, people are willing to try that. Yeah. Um, my true golden take is that it succeeds in all this while taking itself so seriously <laughs> that it almost ruins it. Yeah. I could see it. Um, <laughs> yeah. How many jokes are there in the, in the, in the matrix trilogy? Uh, four, maybe, maybe four yeah. average of 1.3 per movie. <laughs> yeah. That's really not enough to be like a really, you know, fun movie experience most of the time. I don't and know. it almost know. ruins it. How much emotion does Neo show th in all three movies? About four, you know, different expressions. I mean, there's one that's basically 99% and then he'll throw in a couple other small ones. 
That doesn't sound like a great recipe for a really entertaining movie. But what I'm saying is, even though that's kind of borderline, almost doesn't really work, the fact that it's taking itself so seriously is kind of part of the ambition, I think. Um, it's stylized, it's detached, but it's also consistent, and it's part of what makes the world building work. Yeah. Yeah, and it does go very, very big into the special effects. So, I mean, it's trying to sort of do that too, kind of be your fun spectacle on top of being... Just wait till revolutions. I know, it does get, it gets crazy there. But even like the kind of borderline <laughs> cheesiness of it, I still sort of like because they embrace it so much. Yeah. They're not afraid of it. It almost doesn't seem um, unintentional because of that. They lean into it, which I think is always a good idea. Questions. questions. My question is this. Why do you think that revolutions comes up short. I think if since we're not going to do revolutions episode, might as well rope that one in for a minute. It focuses on that battle for a real, really long time. And the battle is not that good. No, like it's just shooting robots falling out of the sky. The thing is you don't really ever get a full sense of the full danger mm -hmm. of what these guys are going to do to you. Like the drill comes in to Zion and then it, you know, it's like, was that it? No. Then it happens again a few minutes later. It's like, oh, was that it? We don't really know. And these octopi, you know, robots come. I don't, I don't know, like, how bad they are. Agent Smith, you get how bad he is. Hmm. Like, he's, he's turning people into himself, you know? It's, it's crazy. But, yeah. but, but those, all that stuff in the real world, the danger doesn't even seem like that dramatic. And then you got these cuts to sitting around the conference table while everything's blowing up and like they don't even seem to be breaking a sweat and it's like i don't know it, it just doesn't it falls flat but all the neo stuff in matrix revolution is great yeah and he is sort of asleep for a whole lot of it yeah. so that we do have more of a focus on the side characters which maybe isn't the greatest thing yeah. to be doing in the culmination of the of the trilogy but i do think that there is a lot to like about that i do too but it's pretty firmly the my number three out of yeah, these three me too all right, so let's go back to Peter Rayner, New York Magazine. He says, you don't have to buy into the geeky myth-making in The Matrix Reloaded in order to enjoy its kinetic pleasures. Geeky. And my golden take was all about the geeky myth-making and how... <laughs> what a geek you are. That is exciting to me, you know? But what do you think about this idea? Like, do you think that you have to care about or love those higher themes in order to be into this movie? Um, I think that it... I mean, the plot and everything is not going to make any sense if you're not really paying attention to any of that. And that gets a little confusing and boring. But the set pieces yeah. are so good. Like, I'm, I'm trying to remember if, I can't remember if this is in Revolutions, where they're going up and down the stairs. Is that yeah, Revolutions? Yeah, that's, that's this one. Oh, that's this one. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yep. The Burley Brawl is what they called it with the 99 agents, of, you know, Smith agents. That's that, actually my least favorite. That's got too much CGI. Yeah. But I do. What I like about that part is that I, I like it in a movie where the hero gets into a situation where you think this is impossible, and they you see cannot. It both ways they too. cannot get out of this because you see how swiftly he can overpower one yeah. or two or 10 right. Smith. So it is like totally a different movie than the first one. Yeah. And that's established. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, it's overwhelming. Right, but um, I, I the highway scene, the stairwell scene, mm-hmm. Carrie Ann Moss falling backwards out of the, you know, I, I think that that lingers a little too long at the beginning with too many bullets flying through. It's like, remember, we're doing bullet time, everybody. Um, but 
when you, you start there, you return to it. I think that the action is so strong, although I don't really like those twin dudes. That seems a little bit, I don't know, that seemed a little bit cheesy to me, but... I thought their death was pretty bad where it blows up and then like the ghosts kind of like fly toward the camera as if it's a 3D or something like that. I think that if the movie has a problem, it's with the pacing because you do have that sort of mix between... Which one are you talking about? Revolutions or Reloaded? Reloaded. Okay. You do have that mix between um, high spectacle action and very, very dense exposition. Yeah. And if you're... A 13 year old me in the theater eating your popcorn and you don't even understand what the reloaded that, that you, you don't even get that part of it i thought they were going to be reloading guns yeah in this like movie. i don't understand they just throw their guns in the ground every time the ones <laughs> they don't empty. reload any of them <laughs> so i mean i could see that if you're not interested in those deeper layers this um might wear you down a little bit mark savlov another quote for you austin chronicle Uh, He said that there's only so much Rubik's Cubism a film could handle, and Reloaded is awash in sci-fi and religious overtones that continually bog down the film's forward motion. Mm -hmm. And I get it. Personally... I can see how some people would feel that way. Yeah, I'm into it personally. Like, the ambition of it just kind of does it for me. Um, But I understand the resistance, even though those people are wrong. The thing that was... (laughs) I also... um, Even though revolutions, like, I wish that the hour-long battle was like 20 minutes and you could just make it a 90 minute movie and I'd be, might be happier. But the religious overtones, like they're being so overtly, you know, like Christian symbology. Mm -hmm. It's the one he's the Messiah. He sacrifices himself to defeat the nihilistic, you know, evil. And then they're talking about how he's going to come again. You know, I thought that that was actually also really bold and like the movies set up and earned that, that ability to do I have no idea if the Wachowskis are like, you know, Christians or something, but they certain, all that stuff seemed to be very like, um, it's just borrowing so heavily from it um, that I thought it was interesting that it kind of got away with it. And I thought it was pretty cool. You excited for the fourth one? I'm very excited for the fourth one. I'm all in. I'm all in. We'll we'll see it together. How bad could it be? (laughs) Well, I'll watch it on Clearplay with you after. (laughs) All right, what might have been? What might have been? All right, Jet Li was going to be Seraph, who's played by Colin Chow. Mm, He turned it down. There's two different things I saw. One, he didn't want his martial arts movies to be digitally recorded. Maybe okay. maybe he thought that people would then doubt his like speediness. It's funny. We talked about this a little bit with 20 Days Later. People really had a fear and a resistance <laughs> to digital video Gently for a while. can't punch that fast. That must be sped up. I don't know if that's what he's thinking. People were just afraid of a new medium, I think. Other people said that he turned down the role because he wanted as much money as Keanu Reeves and they wouldn't give it to him. (laughs) That's probably more like it. Yeah. Michelle Yao was also considered for a female version of that character and she turned it down, had scheduling conflicts. That'd be cool. Sean Connery, the architect. Uh, Yeah. Totally. Have you seen the Will Ferrell uh, MTV Movie Awards skit where he's just screaming, (laughs) Ergo! (laughs) Vis-a-vis! I have not. I'll have to do that. The Wachowskis were approached to direct Batman Begins hmm. and do the trilogy instead of Christopher Nolan. Interesting. I would be curious to see that. I kind of thought of like, it's got a little Dark Knight, a little Alien. It's got a little, you know. See, I like that they take from those things. They yeah. borrow from those styles and make their own thing. But I, f- it's almost it's like quasi a bit much for Batman. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, how can you go bit much for Batman? Like, I don't, Batman I, is is much. That's what defines him. Yeah, I guess you're right. I don't trivia. know trivia. 
The freeway chase and the burly brawl scenes were filmed at a decommissioned naval air station in California. The producers commissioned a 1.5-mile freeway on old runways and turned it into the, the freeway. Love it. Um, the burly brawl, uh, with that's where there's 100 Agent Smiths going after him. There are four totally computer animated sequences with no live action whatsoever in some of the sequences. Lasted nine minutes, took three and a half years of post-production. Whoa. That's crazy. John Gaeta, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. He's the um, cinematographer. I believe that's what his title was for it. But he realized that the technology that he and his crew had developed for the Matrix's bullet time was not sufficient. So they created a whole new thing, the virtual camera, a simulation of a camera. And that like amped it up even, even further. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. Um, the film, the highway chase took three months to shoot, which is lo longer than most movies even take to shoot. 90%, this is, this is a good one for you. 90% of the materials from the sets were recycled after production. And ex for example, tons of wood were sent to Mexico to build low income housing. Ah, nice. Sort of like there's a lot of pressure from Hollywood to be uh it was yep. like inconvenient truth about Hollywood was what an article. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So keep I have, it, a, I have a good one. Yeah, yeah, the go film ahead. was initially banned in Egypt because of the violent content and because it put into question issues about human creation, which are related to the three divine religions. Indeed. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> that was great. But yeah, I mean, I would keep this movie also. Seabiscuit, get it out. Let's, you sure? <laughs> Over Seabiscuit? <laughs> yeah, I'd put it over Seabiscuit. Poor Seabiscuit, getting kicked all over the place. But I would definitely kick Seabiscuit for this. But it really hasn't been that hard for me to kick Seabiscuit. It's no, been an easy one. It, it hasn't been. I guess the one <laughs> thing that I will say, I'll think about this in, in comparison to Master and Commander, is I think that this is one of those examples of movies I bring up sometimes that if a movie has flaws, but it has high highs and big ideas and big ambitions, I am more excited about that, mm -hmm. warts and all, than I am with a movie that is very tight and polished and I can't really find any, you know, loud issues with it like a master and commander. So you like a quarterback who throws deep passes and sometimes gets intercepted rather than the, we'll make little five and five yard passes and, and safely go through the, th go up the field. I think that we should be surprised when we go to a movie. And I think that 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 filmmakers should start out with big dreams mm -hmm. and then go from there. And, um, you know, Peter Weir's movie is very good. I, I like I, Master and Commander a lot, but it's not one that I'm going to want to revisit later to try to figure yeah. out and, you know, and think about. The, the, the Wachowski's dream about as big as you get in this trilogy, I think. Yeah. In the next episode, we're going to talk about American Splendor, another bonus episode from 03. Paul Giamatti plays underground comic book writer Harvey P. Carr. It, won, it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. We want to hear from you. What did you think about Matrix Reloaded and the whole trilogy? Let us know and we'll read your answers on the show. You can find us at bestpicturethis.com on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Best Picture This. And for 15 years of Golden Takes, head over to Letterboxd where you'll find me, Mike Cavalieri. Do you have a favorite movie from the past that doesn't get the attention it deserves? If you become a patron of this show by visiting patreon.com slash bestpicturethis, you can help choose a movie for one of our bonus episodes, our most recent one was Pleasantville, chosen by Maddie. Thanks to WNZF and Mark Gilliland for producing. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. Until next time, I'd like to sign off by an announcement that all discarded material from the production of this podcast are also being donated to Construct Housing. 100%. Mm -hmm.